What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. Welcome back, everyone, to the fourth and final, I believe, for now, TLP podcast episode on real estate investing. Derek and Steve are joining me today, and we're going to focus on tying up some loose ends from our discussions previously. So today may feel like we're jumping around a bit, and basically that's just because we are. Derek and Steve, how are you guys doing? Do you have one more in you? Just one more. Yes. Ready. Fourth quarter. Let's finish strong. Yep. We always do sometimes. <laughs> um, let's start out today hammering home one of the most important things to understand and embrace that we wanted to get across over the past couple episodes, and that is real estate is local. You know, What is a good deal for me in St. Louis may be completely different than what is a good deal for you in your town. And until you learn what is a good deal in your area – you're really not going to know. Even within St. Louis, things will vary in different parts throughout the city. And that's why I focus on usually three to five zip codes exclusively. So I'm able to niche down and learn those areas that I'm focusing on very well. Because if I try to be a jack of all trades, I end up not getting really good at any one area. As an example, you know, I'll often get asked from doctors or clients or friends or whatever in other towns across the country who are looking to get into real estate investing. And they'll ask, they'll send me a property or something and they'll say, is this a good deal? You know, they find a property and they send it over. They think it looks good. And they say, hey, you know, you invest in real estate. Is this a good deal? And I have no problems with them doing that. But usually my answer is, I don't know. You know, with just one data point, I couldn't tell you if that is the best deal in the country or the worst deal in the country. So, how do you guys feel? You guys in agreement with this? Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's the same when someone sends information on a practice or whatever and says, "Yeah, I'm, I found a practice. Uh, it's collecting eight hundred thousand. It's for sale for six hundred thousand. Is this a good deal?" and you know, if you dive a little bit more deep into it, you can do the evaluation and, and see if the numbers make sense from a business perspective. But, you know, there's still going to be things in the market that could make it a good or a bad deal, regardless of what the specific evaluation is. For example, like if you have two of the exact same practice, same numbers and everything, one is rural Nebraska and the other is in uh, Seattle, the practice in Seattle is very likely going to sell for much more and more quickly. So it's the same same with houses. You know, you can have the same house and same numbers, but in certain areas, it's going to be more more or less competitive, more or less demand. So I think you. I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about: knowing your area and be reviewing reviewing things. No about the neighborhood, stuff like that. Agreed. My sister, she lives in San Jose and on their street, a small house just burnt down. And the, the next week it sold for over $1 million. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So basically you're, what you're saying here, Steve, is your sister's got some jack. <laughs> That's basically what I'm saying. 
<laughs> what does your sister do, Steve? <laughs> Arson. I think we need to change her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. Well, I think we all need to get – I think we need to get her on the podcast. Screw uh, real estate investing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Meant to say, depending on where you live, it's just totally, you know, it's totally going to be different from here to there. Right. One thing you had mentioned, Derek, you need to know – more about your area, what are properties in general selling for in that particular area? Is this a good neighborhood, et cetera? One thing I like to do, a little trick of the trade that probably everyone knows, but it's a trick to me, is when I'm looking at a property for sale on Zillow, and if you're on the property page on Zillow, not just Zillow like showing you the whole city at once, click on the map on that page. So you're on the property page. On that property page, it shows you where that, there's a map showing exactly where that house is. And click on that map. Then go up to the top and click on a heading called Lot Lines, L-O-T-L-I-N-E-S. For those of you who cannot spell lot or lines, this will show you very quickly and easily what the estimated property values are right around that property. And then also show you what is sold, what is for rent, what is for sale. So if you're it makes it really easy. So if you're looking at a property for sale for let's say a hundred thousand. And you go to that map, click on lot lines, and you see every other house on that block is estimated to be worth 80000 then maybe it's not a good deal. Conversely, if you saw the property three doors down just sold for 120000 that may tell you something else. So it's something I always like to do when I'm checking out a property. Yeah, agreed. I remember when I... <laughs> first tried, I would try to get three different windows up. One that had like sales prices, one that had rent prices one, <laughs> until I finally realized you can have them all on one page. So, but yeah, it's really helpful to have everything right there. Something that I've tried to do too is, uh, at least recently I take a screenshot of the rents in a given like subdivision or neighborhood and then just review it, you know, a couple weeks later, compare the, the new, rent options to my screenshot from a couple of weeks ago to get a feel for how much demand there is in rent in that area or how high rents can be, but still get tenants. So Steve, are you doing that? And then comparing later to see like, which are not for rent anymore. So you can see, okay, well these ones run it out or is it, is it a comparison of what's currently for rent now versus what was before? Uh, the first, just trying to get a, a feel for, um, are like, are these going off the market fast? Are there just tons of houses that are just sitting with no tenants cause there's not demand or, um, at what price point Probably do they disappear? Out. Yeah. Yeah. So it just kind of gives you a feel. That's good. I like it. Let's attack the question we get asked the most. And that is what do I do if I can't find any properties in my area that makes sense to invest in. And I know that's the case for a lot of listeners out there. Let's just break it down. What are your options if that's the case? Number one, you could do nothing, give up on real estate, invest in something else. Number two, you could, in order to still try to keep it close, still find deals in your area, knowing that your cash flow may be less or possibly even non-existent. But there are deals everywhere. You know, a deal is just a property that has value at the time of purchase above what you're paying for. Um, and number three is learn to invest out of state, out of city, whatever. And we're going to focus on number three. And 
we're not going to beat around the bush. Let's be honest. It's harder, in my opinion, to do that. But it can be done. And there are plenty of people doing it. If we break down that option even further, what are we left with? You can go to a particular city. And, you know, so let's say I'm in St. Louis. I can't find anything good in St. Louis. So I know I'm going to go check out city XYZ. And my options are to start investing in that city. I can go to that city and I can look at properties. I can set up meetings with realtors and property managers and stuff like that um, to really get your team established. And people do that. And that's okay. It takes a little legwork. But I'm sure there are people who are killing it like that and they would tell you it's worth it. And I would have to probably agree. The other option would be there are often companies um, that offer focus on turnkey rentals. These are companies that often have purchased the homes, often got them rent ready. They have a tenant placed and then they will sell that property to you at market value. And then they will also continue to manage that property for you. And I'd venture to say there are these types of companies probably in most every major metro areas around the country. What are your guys' thoughts on this? What do you tell someone that says they can't find any properties that cash flow in their area, which is pretty common? Yeah, I think those are really good good ways to go outside of your market. So I, I think you summed that up well. Maybe taking a step back. I would probably answer if someone says that, because people often say that I would, my first response would say, look harder. And I say that, for example, because a year and a half ago, when I decided to kind of wade into real estate for the first time, I looked at home values and versus rent costs in the area where I live. And at the time I was renting a home that was worth 400 K for, I think it was 15 or $1,600 a month. So I thought, you know, there's no way this is cash flowing in any stretch of the imagination. So I looked Derek's around me. three percent rule. <laughs> right. That right. he likes. <laughs> um, and I definitely didn't see anything near a month's rent equaling 1% of the home value. So after my little search, I decided that was that. My area was a bad area. So I started to look into other stuff and I ended up buying some properties out of town a little later, uh, which ended up working fine. But then interestingly, a year later, I met a guy at church who's getting out of the military in the next month. And I asked him what he's going to do now that he's going back to civilian life. And he just kind of looks and says, I'll, I'll probably retire. And I thought, oh yeah, you're going to retire out of the military. So I asked He's 38-ish. Maybe that's the lucky number. I don't know. Yeah, young guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I ask him what he means by that. And he says he might work, but probably not. And it turns out he has built up a a really sizable real estate portfolio doing BRR outside of his time commitment in the military, you know, outside his eight to five um, to the point that he's all done. And you can guess where he's done it. Yep, right here, right around me in what I thought was not a real estate market. So in the face. Yeah, yeah. It kind of stung for a second because I liked saying, oh, I don't don't live in that market, you know. But needless to say, I was wrong. So yes, there there wasn't cash flow real estate opportunities directly around me. But with some more searching and a little more homework, 
just about a half hour away, there's a zip code or maybe even two that I hadn't really considered, um, before that now I'm, now I'm starting to invest in. And I just didn't initially have the drive to look hard. It was easier to do the default and say, mine is a bad market, which was an excuse to get me out of some hard work and the time that I didn't really want to put in at that time. So I would say first is to look harder and then Understanding that there are lots of markets out there where monthly cash flow properties are not realistic. You can research new opportunities, maybe commercial, maybe land, whatever. You know, the ones you mentioned, Justin, are great. But I think uh, there's lots of options out there. It may not be in your backyard. It might be if you look harder. But I would say don't just kind of throw up an excuse to kind of get you out of some hard work. Yeah, I like your thoughts, Steve. Many times when you see the deals or the numbers that are out there for something that someone has found and you think, oh man, this, this, uh, yeah, that looks great. You, ha- you have to remember that very often this is a deal that they found after scouring through many other opportunities. So it's easy to look at it and say, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't find that in my area, which yeah, that could be true. But to, to your point, Steve, if you really want to find, find out, you've got to start analyzing, making connections, stay on top of the market, do those kinds of things before, in order to really give it a fair chance. Have, I think I mentioned this book last time, but have either of you read David Green's book, um, Long Distance Real Estate Investing? No. I have not. I think this is one of my top books that I really like in, in real estate let me, I'll just tell you a little bit about it. So this guy, David Green, he was a a police officer in San Francisco and he wanted to invest in real estate. Uh, As you can guess, his area wasn't the greatest as far as finding properties that cash flowed well. So he started to look at other areas that he could invest that were not close to him. And uh, so this book is all about him and the processes that he learned to put in place that allowed him to do that predictably. So I really like his book because he explains how to do everything from long distance. So if you're going to be long distance, then, then great. But even if you're going to be local, all of this stuff applies. And because he's long distance, he's setting things up in a way that it doesn't require him to be there in person where he's really in my opinion, he's really learned how to maximize his time because he's had to depend on his team and other people. So there's a lot of really good things in the book that have been helpful for me in just depending on your team and requiring less of your less of your time. So I think I, I would recommend it to everyone. I think it's uh, got a lot of really good stuff in it. So my thoughts on your other question, Justin, about turnkey rental companies. Uh, there are definitely a lot of these out there. So there's definitely opportunities to get involved in investing in real estate by using them. This is actually how my, I had talked about my dad. Um, this is actually how my dad has had found his properties that he's investing in. He owned a a condo in Utah that he was renting out and he paid it off and the values of properties in Utah has gone up a lot over the last few years. So he decided that he wanted to sell his condo and invest in another area where he could get a, a better return. 
I want to share something real quick. This is, again, Justin said we'd be jumping around. And this is one thing that I wanted to bring up in this podcast that I don't think we've really talked about. There's two terms that I want to share. One is ROI and the other is ROE. Uh, ROI is obviously return on investment. ROE is return on equity. And there's a reason I want to bring it up right now. If you looked at my dad's ROI on his condo, it was great. But the ROE was less so. The reason being is the value of his condo had had gone up quite a bit, but the rent hadn't gone up proportionally with it. So it was less. So his ROI was good because he had a lot of equity in, in his property, but his return on his equity was low because now he had this property that was paid off. He had a lot of, I mean, he had 100% equity in the property, but the rent had not increased proportionally with it. So his return on his equity was was less. And that's what made him decide that he could get a better return on his equity by basically uh, liquidating, selling that, and then investing in multiple properties in different areas that would, would, would cash flow better. So anyway, he looked at several different areas uh, to invest and different turnkey companies. And I looked at a lot of these with him um, and I've kind of looked at them over time. There's, it's been interesting to uh, look at some of them in my area where, you know, I really know this area and then looking at the properties and kind of seeing some differences in them. The best thing about these opportunities with turnkey companies is that they take a lot of the headache out of the equation. They are finding the homes, they're managing any updating that needs to be done. They find the tenants and, uh, you know, everything's in place. So this is great, but this can also be a downside. And especially if a company knows that you're out of state, they know that you're less likely to be completely aware of everything. So what that means is that it's it's even more important for you to find the best company that you can find. Find one that you uh that you can really trust. And then you trust but verify. So you should still be paying for an inspection report from a third party. Um you should be talking to other investors in the area about who they use for property management if they and if they know anything about the company that you're looking at using. The other thing that you have to consider is that you you will likely be paying a little more for these properties simply because the company is doing all of the hard work. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Um, and, and it makes a lot of sense if you don't want to go through the time and effort to do all the, the research and everything that we've been talking about. But you have to know at the same time that if you wanted to put in extra time and put your team together, you could very well be doing this on your own and getting better deals. So again, there's not a right or wrong, just different pros and cons. Yeah, you have to weigh what your time investment would be as well, like anything. And like you said, pros and cons. And really, I mean, we could dedicate an entire podcast to that one topic, um, but we're not going to. So, But we do realize that people may be getting interested and realize like, Oh, I want to talk more about that. If that's the case, awesome. Email us, Justin, Steve, Derek at lifestylepractice.com or go to our Facebook, TLP Podcast Facebook page. We're happy to talk through it more. We just don't want to go down any rabbit holes for 
you know, a small majority of people and take up an entire podcast, but it's a big topic. We get it. Let's move on. Next. I'm sure there are some people out there that say, you know, I don't want to give up. I'm willing to invest out of state, but how do I even know where to start looking for that particular area? Because obviously you can't just start on the East Coast and work your numbers all the way across the country, analyzing every city until you find one that makes sense. So let me ask you guys, if you were in that position, how would you start your search? Where would you start looking to find a good place to find decent returns? Good question. Some of these online groups, like Derek was talking about, they'll have, at least the ones I've looked at, they you can just look up by opportunity and it'll have multiple states. And you can just compare the deals or the packages from different states and just kind of pick and choose one that you'd like. Give me an example. Like, tell me exactly where you would go to find that. Like, are you talking bigger pockets or? Oh, I wish I could give you the, I, or I don't grinder. Which one was Derek on? <laughs> the, the, Derek's usually frequenting that area. I honestly don't remember the exact website, but you can probably just Google this stuff and find a fair amount of opportunities. Bigger pockets would probably be a better place to start. One of the most common ones now is roof stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, you can go right there and you can just click on like look at opportunities and it's going to take you right to different properties and you can look directly at their their numbers and pro formas and everything. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Um, one thing about like a roof stock, like even if you're not going to go through roof stock to purchase your property, you can look at properties in a certain area and get an idea like, okay, this city in this state, there tends to be a fair number of properties on roof stock in this location. And then you can go to Zillow or wherever you want to and search that area more in depth. You don't have to go through roof stock. And, you know, honestly, roof stock's not built out well all the way across the country yet. You know, it's it's got its pockets where people tend to use it more. Um, and I think it gives better data. But I think eventually, if it keeps going, it will get better and better and improve just like Zillow did yeah. in the beginning. Sorry to cut you off, Steve. No, you didn't. No, cut off. One one thing that I had some success with, and I think is a is a good way to go, is instead of necessarily doing a city search, if you want to try to get in some in some doors with real estate investing, do a people search. And by this, I mean who are a couple people that you know, maybe family, friends, someone online that person you've been following on some dental form, do a people search and reach out to them. Someone that is investing in real estate or someone that's otherwise really successful, contact them and see if you can get them on the phone and pick their brain a bit. If they're around you, drive down and take them out to lunch, ask how they did it and what opportunities they know of that may be out there for somebody like you. Um, I found personally a bunch of hard money lending deals this way. Um, and really when you're reaching out to people like this, only good things can come from it, you know, possible opportunities. And maybe if not possible opportunities, you'll get some lessons or at least some additional networking. So try a people search. I think that's a great idea. One, I was going to add one thing, uh, when we're talking about, uh, like different turnkey companies is when you go and look at their data and everything, make sure that you're not just kind of glancing and looking at the numbers, put their numbers into your spreadsheet or like whatever you're using to evaluate things. Because a lot of times 
there's going to be, you know, a few different things. Uh, for example, so like I was running the, I was looking at some of the opportunities once um, with my dad and I was, I was looking at it and I was like, man, why are there returns high? I mean, based on all the numbers that I'm seeing, the returns are higher here. The cash flow is better than I would have expected. And uh, anyway, after I, I figured it out, which was kind of like, duh now, but I mean, all of their calculations are based on a 30 year amortization schedule with a mortgage and I've always done everything on a 15 year. So, um, just, uh, just make sure that, you know, you're trying to actually work through the numbers and that I think you can learn a lot from that as far as, you know, how you might want to do things. Gotcha. Let's just a few more random topics I want us to hit on. Sorry, Justin, I forgot. I had a, another couple thoughts on your question on where you would kind of start this, the search and everything. I think bigger pockets is a great place to start. I mean, you can, you can go on there and ask, you know, Hey, I'm looking at possibly investing in this area, any recommendations and, and you can go on there and search and you can see other people and, and what their thoughts are. Um, I think, uh, generally when you're, when you're looking and, and doing a search, you want to kind of look at areas, you know, you know, areas with a uh, growing population with job growth. Um, and it would be very easy to Google that and to look at reports to find different areas around the country where those numbers look good. And then further evaluation, you'd want to see high rent to property value ratio, looking at investing in areas that are uh, urban and, and suburban. We're, we're seeing growth, not just in the US, but worldwide of cities that people more and more are living in the cities. So investing in urban and suburban areas, I think are, are safer to invest in. Also, when you begin your search, you can look at a lot of different, uh, you know, financial websites that will give their analysis of different areas, you know, just Google best cities to invest in real estate. And they're going to have a lot of their thoughts on uh, potential in these different areas. Turnkey companies are also going to give their thoughts and, you know, have different blog posts about why different areas are great to invest in. But I think a lot of, in my experience, a lot of turnkey companies are are not nationwide. They're specified to a certain area. So just remember that they're very likely going to be biased on, you know, their area because they want you to, to invest in them. But in general, I think, you know, these are good things to to follow, though, because, if a company can find deals and and sell to investors at something that looks good to an, an investor, uh, this likely means that there's space for you in that market as well if you want to venture on your own. Good point. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point. And really, I've looked at several turnkey companies before. I've met some people that um, run turnkey companies. And... Honestly, for the most part, I've been pretty impressed. If I could not find deals in St. Louis, personally, I think this would be one of my main ways to invest in real estate. Now, granted, you may you're still probably going to want to fly to that city or drive to that city, meet them, and say, "Hey, I'm coming to town. You know, a week from Friday, I'd like to meet with you, um, ask you some questions. I'd like you to show me some of the properties you have available." But I think you can be very productive in a meeting like that as opposed to saying, okay, I'm trying to meet three realtors. I'm trying to meet 
to property managers. I'm trying to get all their opinions. I think you can be more efficient that way. Granted, I'm sure like anything, there are good ones, there are bad ones. And that's why you got to do some due diligence. And, but I think it could be good. So next, now next, just a few random topics I want to hit on. Um, For most of our single families that we invest in, I'm talking about the three of us, we tend to go with three bedrooms and at least one and a half baths. And that's not by accident that we choose these. Yes, we may sometimes buy three one. I'm sure I know I've got a couple if it's just a really good deal. But for the most part, we're looking at three bedrooms with one and a half plus baths. Usually it's one and a half to two. And here are just a couple of my reasons, and you guys may have more. And this is not to say you can't make three ones work or two ones even work, you know, because I'm sure there's somewhere out, someone out there listening right now. It's like, no, you son of a gun. I got a bunch of two ones that are killing it. You're an idiot. I get it. But uh, <laughs> I love these we're questions. just generalizing here. <laughs> that, so. That's the two one guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually working. I'm actually a ventriloquist. On my, that's why I quit dentistry. Um, someone, <laughs> well, you're really so good at it. Let's on talk the podcast about the because I thought it was someone else. Thank you. You can't see me moving my mouth at all, can you? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy. Okay, where was I? Some reasons why we choose three one and a half plus. Number one, someone looking to rent or buy a three bedroom is usually never going to go to a two bedroom, but. Someone looking to rent or buy a two-bedroom may be willing to spend a little bit extra for that extra bedroom. Or maybe they're just saying, hey, let's just go check it out. They check out your three, two, and they're like, dang, this extra bedroom's really nice or this extra bathroom's really nice. You know, But you're usually not going to do that in the reverse. And I want to appeal to a mass audience in my rentals. And, you know, I always want to be able to rent and sell as easily as I can if needed. And I feel like three one and a half or three twos is a good way to do that. You know, it's just kind of the gold standard in America. Studies have shown it that three twos are the most commonly sold configuration in the country and appeal to the widest variety of family configurations in most circumstances. So, again, just one small random tangent topic any thoughts that you guys have on this yeah i think your thoughts are uh really really solid um thanks three, Derek. thanks yeah. i appreciate that <laughs> three three twos are generally in in higher demand uh when you look at everything across the board i want to expand a little bit more here and this is something that i wanted to talk about previously and so i'll uh allow myself to go on a little tangent here when i first started investing I was looking at deals and opportunities all over the page, and I wasn't exactly sure where to narrow my focus. So in my opinion, there is a scale of real estate opportunities as far as cost and return. So let me explain. On the low end of the scale, you have homes like mobile homes. They're, they're on the low end of the scale because they are very low cost to purchase. I have a friend here in my area that does, uh, I mean, this is what he specializes in investing. He does a ton of mobile homes. He's actually one of the people that I reached out to and took to lunch 
but uh, he really enjoys investing in mobile homes. And they're, they're low barrier because it's much easier to get into mobile homes due to the low cost. And uh, because they are low cost, they are also great as far as their ability to cash flow. However, when the house has been rented for five or 10 years, it's eventually going to be worthless and it will either take a lot of work to fix it up or uh, more likely it will just need to be replaced. So really the value of a mobile home will pretty much always decrease dramatically. Your equity in a mobile home won't increase significantly. So again, it's a good way to cash flow because of the low cost, but it's not a great way to really build wealth in in my opinion. I mean, I consider that to be more on the end of, you know, kind of flipping properties just because it takes more uh, a little bit more upkeep and and work and turnover to make things continue to happen um rather than uh growing equity as well. So, that's on the low end of the scale. On the opposite side, on the high end of the scale, you can purchase homes that are a bit nicer. These homes are probably going to be, you're going to have renters that have better paying jobs that just don't want to, don't want to, to pay for a home. They don't know, maybe they don't know how long they're going to be in an area and they're willing to just pay more for rent. So Steve, I'm picturing that house that you rented out and, and lived in for a while with your family. It was a high value property. Um, but like you said, it's, it's tough to picture that uh, they cash flowed on it uh, at all. Right. Right. Um, so with this type of property, you're, you're probably going to be close to just breaking even with the price that you can rent it out at compared to the mortgage and all of the associated costs. But over time, you know, the goal is that the tenants will pay off the home for you. And then you've got a valuable asset that then you can hold and cash flow from now that you've paid off the debt or you can sell. So again, this is on the high end of the, the spectrum basically the opposite of a mobile home where there's very low cash flow but higher equity growth over time for for this reason i really like the middle of the road here which i feel like is the the three bed two bath uh brick homes they're somewhere in between these two ends of the scale i get some cash flow all along the way, which is nice, all while the tenants are paying off the homes. So I also get the equity growth. So I feel I feel like it's the best of both worlds. So again, no right or wrong, just different pros and cons. You're gonna have you're gonna find people in in every area that are seeing success in in what they do. But uh, it, it is interesting that all three of us are you know basically in kind of that same that same space kind of come to that same conclusion yep true that steve anything you wanted to add are you good there i was just imagining all these mobile homes in lefkin i think it sounds like a wonderful place (laughs) (laughs) uh when when uh when we were when we were driving to lefkin it was actually during my spring break of my fourth year of dental school it took some convincing to get my wife to drive through. And as we were driving here, it was like, we both just like really started to feel it like, oh my gosh, where are we? What is this going to be like? And luckily Lufkin has a decent population. And, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's got an Applebee's. 
<laughs> Speaking of opposite ends of the spectrum, Steve, on one end of the spectrum, you have a sister who's has a lot few doors down that burnt down is worth a million dollars on the other end of the spectrum. We've got Derek that lives in trailer park. Lufkin. <laughs> yeah. So praise the Lord. We've got both ends covered. <laughs> um, moving on. How about online investing platforms? There, there's a ton of them now, like crowd street, realty, mogul patch of land, uh, just a few. But personally, I look at these pretty much just like I would like a mutual fund or like a mutual fund invested in real estate, like a REIT. You don't get great tax benefits. You have zero control of the deal. You don't get control when you get your money back of when you get your money back. So generally, because of those reasons, I stay away. And I guess I can see some appeal if you want to diversify into real estate, but have no other means to do it or a very constrained budget. But I've never been overly tempted by these. Do you guys have any experience or thoughts on this topic? I think I'm probably on the same page with you. I admit I've never invested in these, so my perspective could be skewed. But my initial thought would be to steer away. Go ahead and, if nothing else, you do a mutual fund. Um, why? Well, these are public crowdfunding opportunities exist basically because private investors all pass on the given property or complex. So I think that can tell you a little bit about the quality of the investment. And then this investment goes to a crowdfunding group that puts it up and tries to sell it to investors that I would describe as maybe less informed than other real estate investors. And remember the, the platform, they make their money off the fees from the investors that they get to sign up on the deal. That's basically their kind of their business model. If their business model was to make money off the investments themselves, they wouldn't really be asking the internet to join in on it with them. You know, if you have to advertise your investment to the world on Facebook to try to raise capital, it may not likely be in high demand, may not be a very good deal, in my view. Yeah. In general, I agree with you guys. I don't know that I agree 100%, Steve, that... that, uh, that these deals are out there because private investors pass on it. I think in some cases, some of these groups uh, have access to uh, more capital and they, they may be even, even better at uh, negotiating or, or whatever. And I could be wrong, but uh, I think, I think my, my issue is I don't know that I've ever seen one of these deals that I've that I've really wanted to be a part of. Um, I think I think if I found a group that I really felt on board with their strategy and and management philosophy, I I might want to jump in. However, I I really like the idea more of having fewer partners and and going in on something together. I would I would really be open to that idea. I just I think it's tough to find and set that up. I think that there can be good deals and opportunities, but uh, one of one of my struggles with this is that I'm really not fond of having very little or no control of the situation. Like Justin was sharing, that you really don't have 
control? Like, how are they going to manage the property? What if I want to get my money back? Uh, Usually you really don't have any control of that. So I would rather have a hundred percent control of something smaller than a smaller percentage of something large. And I would guess, I would, I would venture to guess that you guys feel the same way, judging by the fact that we, we all like the idea of investing in real estate and other areas rather than simply putting our money in the stock market is, which is a perfect example of, uh, having a small percentage of, of something large. Right. Touche. <laughs> um, an agreement. So before we wrap up, what other points or topics do you guys have that you would want to touch on that I haven't brought up before we call it a Riz app? I got a question. I think that would be interesting to talk about, at least briefly. And Justin, I'll pick your brain. Um, <laughs> let's say you pick up a property at below market price, which you are good at. How do you decide to flip this and sell it for an immediate profit versus hold on to this and rent it out for cash flow each month? Like, let's say one, you can make 10K right away by selling it. The other, you can make a couple thousand dollars a year and hold on to it year after year. What uh, what makes you decide to sell or rent? That is a great question. Let's start off. I believe in there's an old adage that goes, flip and get rich, hold and get wealthy. So often I would say if the property makes sense, if it's cash flowing, then the majority of the time I'm going to try to hold it. Like Derek mentioned earlier, return on equity, you know, and I do always evaluate, you know, if I took out, if I have equity that ran up, sometimes planned, sometimes I didn't plan on it appreciating as fast as it has uh, in particular markets. Um, If I have a lot of equity in a property, I have to run the numbers to decide, does it make sense to leave all that equity into that one property or does it make sense to take part of that equity, go buy another house, pay off another house, perhaps. Um, So often it's a case by case basis. You know, I've definitely have sold some of my properties over the years, but I did it as part of a plan. You know, I was never going to roll that money or I was going to roll that money usually into other properties or to pay off other properties to hit a cash flow goal. Never have I sold a property, an asset to buy a liability. For example, selling something that makes me money to go buy a toy, like a boat or a car. Uh, that costs me money. I'm not going to do that. You know, there have been many times, especially in the beginning, like the first deal I spoke about a few podcasts ago, where I had to sell because I was out of money. And then I took that money from the flip, essentially, to raise capital to go buy then two more properties. Um, and no doubt, sometimes there have been properties that I have purchased purely to rehab and flip. You know, if I knew there was money to be made on the flip, but it wouldn't cash flow well as a rental, there were definitely times where I would take on that project if I wanted to. I think in 2018, I did four of those, but in 2019, I'm not sure if I did any. I think I probably got lazy. But in response, 
So that was the answer to your question. Yeah. Hopefully it did um, yeah. basically say I don't have a black and white answer, but I I'm like always adage. evaluating. That was a good adage. Thank you. You're full of them. I'm really big in adages. <laughs> I majored in it. In response to the, as you call it, the BRRR method, um, often referred to as the BRRR method, especially if you listen to Bigger Pockets, you will hear them reference the BRRR method, which is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. You know, this is a great, it's a great way to buy a portfolio. You know, you buy a house on the cheap, you put in the sweat equity or have workers do that for you. You then rent it out. Then after you've got it rehabbed and rented, it's worth more money. So you go and refinance it from the bank. You get your money that you've put into it out. And now you're starting from scratch. You can go do it on another property. But it's definitely more hands-on. In managing a rehab while running a dental practice well, running a family well, et cetera, isn't for the faint of heart. It can be done. I did it, but I didn't do it in the beginning. You know, I got my feet wet, made contacts, learned the ropes a little bit, and then ventured into it. It was to a place at that point where, you know, I was working three days a week and I had a little bit more time, but I would never do it at the expense of my practice. And that's my point. You know, I still forced myself to give a hundred percent of my practice, regardless of what else I had going on, because as we all feel, that's always what should give you the best ROI. Yeah. I like it. I agree. Um, I was going to say maybe one other thing before, before we wrap up. Um, and, uh, it was just maybe a word of encouragement or advice to those people out there that have listened, they're into it. They're excited about real estate, but they're not sure like if or when they should start. There's a story in millionaire real estate investor. And basically the author, he, he said, he shares a story how he's on vacation at some nice resort and, in the elevator at this resort, he bumps into a realtor who he finds out um, just had a condo on the property that just went for sale that is significantly under value. And he actually goes and checks it out with the realtor because they were in the elevator together and he understands the value of it, but he's on vacation. His real estate portfolio is back home in a different geographic location. And so he he tells the realtor thanks. So he'll, he'll think about it. And he goes on and enjoys his vacation for the next day or two. Um, and then after a couple of days, he tells his wife, you know what? We should really get back there and we should get that condo. So he calls that realtor up and you can guess she tells him it was sold immediately that same morning, right after their conversation. And, um, it stings for the, for the author. Um, and he understands that his laziness and hesitation, those couple of days, basically cost him potentially six figures. And he thinks, um, he thinks a lot about on the experience he shares. And he says the lesson he learned was essentially he was asking himself the wrong question. He was asking himself, should I buy real estate? When the question he should have asked himself is, is this a good deal to buy? The first question is kind of a delay move that allows you to sit on the fence you know, he wasn't committing to making it happen, even though the numbers were great. He wasn't all the way in. The second question, is this a good deal to buy? That question means you're already mentally committed. You're not wondering if someday this is something you're going to get into when you get around to it or when it's comfortable. 
it means I know I'm going to make this happen. I don't need to decide that. I just need to find and evaluate the best opportunities. And when I find one, I'm going to act on it. So I thought that was kind of a, a good a good illustration and two different questions that you need to consider. If you're wondering if you should get into real estate, answer that first question up front and just decide to do it. It's a little bit kind of like when we talk about buying a practice, just the commitment. There's never going to come a time when it's comfortable for you or easy. It's That day is just not going to come. You need to decide and choose. Now, I'm not saying rush out there and close on a deal that doesn't make sense or do something reckless, but go into it evaluating opportunities with the intent and commitment to act. Yeah, that's good. I think it's a great story. I remember that story when you started going through it from the book. Um, but just one thing to reiterate is 100% across the board, your first property purchase is always going to be your hardest. You've got to force yourself to jump in and break the ice if it's something you want to do. If it's not, obviously don't. But that first one's tough. It's tough for everybody, just like buying a practice. It's tough for everybody. But people much lesser than you have done it, and you can do it too. Derek, anything you want to say? Yeah. Thanks for telling that story, Steve. That makes me want to go read that book again. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm. You're welcome, Derek. <laughs> I think if I could say anything at this point, it would it would be that um, obviously we're a bit biased towards real estate. We've gone into detail on on why, but it really is just one area of, of potential to invest. I think the important concepts to remember are this after kind of wrapping things up, kind of the first thoughts that come to my mind are first, we've said this over and over from the very beginning. And Justin just barely said it again. Number one, your practice always comes first. Don't put too much energy into building passive income until you have your cash cow. It just, it just doesn't make sense to, to start splitting your time early. Um, Put put your energy into building the best well-oiled machine as possible. That's just uh, you know a, a money printing machine that then is going going to allow you to uh, have the capital that you need to to really make headway in in investing. And I would say that that is a rule that should apply across the board, no matter what your in investment vehicles are. Um, number two. I would say lean on others and that, that applies across the board. Uh, any, anytime you're trying to learn something new or trying to grow in some way, if you can get people in your circle that have done what you want to do and are in a position where you want to get to, you are going to get there so much faster by getting them in your corner. So do that. Um, and then I think, Lastly, I would just say, whenever you go into something, understand all your options. You know, several times, I mean, even in just this podcast, I feel like I've said multiple times, there's no right or wrong. It's just different pros and cons. So understand all your options and find out, find what works for you and just, just own it a hundred percent own it. Go into it knowing that, you know what, I feel good about this, but I take a hundred percent responsibility. I'm moving forward with it and I'm, and I'm going to make this work. But at the same time, I'm going to continue to reevaluate my options and continue to grow and pivot if, if need be. It's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Amen to that, Derek. Good sum up. Yes. Very good. And I'm going to add just to 
sum up, Derek, sum up. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to add, and we usually don't do this. We usually don't do big plugs for the lifestyle practice, which is our coaching company. But I want to here, and I want to just say like for you docs out there or soon to be owners or soon to be docs, whatever, you know, this is what we do. You know, we work with dentists to turn their practice into a cash cow. And I would say probably half of my clients um, are interested in investing in real estate. And we talk about this and we work on this just like we would their practice. So I just want to throw that out there. That's what we do. If you need help, if you're wanting some mentorship, you don't know where to look. Maybe you don't even know that we offer coaching. But, yes, that's what we do. Um and I like to think most days we're pretty good at it. At least I am. Just kidding, guys. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's a wrap. Four podcasts on real estate investing. Shout out to Mead Lyons, who gave us the kick in the butt on Facebook podcast page to do it. And it's been good. It's been long. It's been hard. But it was good. Hopefully some people got some value out of it. Once again, we want to thank you guys for listening. We sincerely appreciate it. We'd love to continue the conversation with you. Like I said, you can email us at our name at thelifestylepractice.com. Join us on our TLP podcast Facebook page. Um, as many of you already have, good discussions going on. And next week, we'll jump back into talking about dental stuff and creating that fuel to invest outside the practice if you so choose. And if you don't, that's okay, too. So, thanks, guys. Until next week, peace.